Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, we finished the Justice Kingdoms and Politics series. Um, yeah, I was kind of torn on this series. Like, part of me thought, man, we have to do this. It's the right time. We've got to help our folks. I was getting so many questions, but part of me really didn't want to do it. Yeah. I don't know if y'all remember, I actually did uh, a series called like Christian Nations, Christian Nation out of First Peter last year when we were in the Presbyterian church. And I kind of wanted that to be my 2020 election cycle, political thing, teaching moment a year and a half out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just kind of didn't want to be, you know, you, you guys know me, I don't, I don't want to, I, I really resist this like reactionary church kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so I was like, we're gonna get way ahead of this. Yeah. Um, and then we won't have to worry about it next year, but so much has happened this year. Um, and I just was, I just felt like our congregation needed, and our congregations, the makeup of our congregation has changed. Maybe half yeah. the people, only half the people that are here now were there then. And, and so, right. um, yeah, that's right. And so anyway, so I think it was, uh, too, too soon, too soon for the times. Yeah, it was too soon. I was trying to be cool. I was trying to get ahead, yeah, you know, soon. but I, I, you know. Uh, but I think that was a helpful little thing for us. We're looking at the little Presbyterian church right now. That was such a sweet little time. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, and this was, I think the, the way that we were able to frame this series, um, you know, I mean, I don't know what y'all would say. I, I, I kind of liked starting it with this big, like kind of justice or you would say righteousness, uh, category. And then, you know, righteousness, the, the pursuit of righteousness will lead you to, some sort of kingdom or identity, and then that will lead you obviously to an outworking in your actual life. So uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the forma of it, I think, I think it's probably a pretty good way to think about all this stuff. Um, I don't know, Blake, we were, we were just talking, I know this isn't the order that we said we we're going to go in, but I feel like we should go here. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you kind of explained when you explained what we were trying to do, I was like, yeah, that's what we we're trying to do. Yeah. I think, you know, throughout the series, just trying to help people understand that through your human experience, you kind of develop political conclusions and that might be based on kind of where you grew up, how you grew up, what news outlet was on the most. Yeah, I mean, and, your first you know, political conclusion comes from like, who's my mom or dad yeah, voting for? That's right. That's right? exactly I right. I mean, I remember when I was in uh, uh, first grade, there was like one little candidate that dressed up as George H.W. Bush and one guy that dressed up as Michael Dukakis and like I knew which one I was for because mm-hmm. I knew which one my yeah, dad was that's for. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And so like you you have these conclusions, and then what we seek to do oftentimes is validate our conclusions against truth. Just to say, like, okay, I have these conclusions. Does truth allow me to have these conclusions? Right, right, yeah. And a lot of times you you know, and then you you can kind of proof text the Bible into, you know, to to kind of confirm what you already held. But what we were really hoping to do is 
recognize that people do have human experiences, right? But what we want our church to do is think about truth, right? Yes. And through thinking about truth, praying through truth, knowing truth, which is God's word, then develop conclusions. And, um, you know, hopefully this allowed people to do that. I think that's really well said. I, I, I even said to somebody last night that, that uh, has actually just been listening to the podcast, following along, um, I said, really my goal is to get everybody in the church to reevaluate their political conclusions. Now, mm-hmm. your political conclusions may or may not change that dramatically, but I think if you go through like the hard work of thinking, why did I land at this conclusion? The, the real win for me is that it'll make you more generous toward people that land in, in a different place. Yeah, that's right. The, the problem with the world right now is kind of how I started the very, very first like sentence I said in the whole sermon series was, you know, I was talking to the one person. They were like, I just don't see how a Christian could do this, you know, vote for Donald mm-hmm. Trump. I don't see how a Christian could vote for Joe Biden. We, we are in this place where we have, we're in, it's a, such a tribal kind of world mm-hmm. that we have so separated each other. We don't have conversations with people that disagree with us. And so we're in this place of like, I just, I can't believe that anybody with half a brain would come, you know, would believe that. And, and, and I think it's because we actually haven't come to conclusions on our own. Mm-hmm. We're just proof texting. If you want to say that these kind of preconceived notions, we're, we're just, we're pumping up our tribe. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's become more of a like fan uh, kind of thing than actual thoughtful interaction with, yeah. you know, it, it becomes more and more like the Auburn Georgia rivalry, mm-hmm. which and, is important this week. Oh man. <laughs> Could not be more important. Do you want to go on record with a score? Auburn 34, Georgia 10. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've had an hard time responding. <laughs> Matt, what? Why don't you? I mean, it's offer. encouraging that we're just laughing and enjoying right. each other's company through this conversation, though. I'm, you know, we can get along I'm as Auburn and Georgia dogs. fans, right? I'm talking to two dogs. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go 27 20, 27 21, Georgia. If you guys could have seen Blake's face when I dropped that score. <laughs> All right, what you got, man? It'll be a slow first half for Georgia, but um, Auburn can't hold them back. Mm. In the end, what's the score? What do you think? I'm gonna think. I'm gonna, I think it's gonna be a defensive battle. I do too. I, I 34 10 is aggressive. Yeah, like <laughs> thinking like uh, 24 17. There you go, Georgia. Oof. All right, we'll see. Anyway, though, it, it, po- our politics has become more like that. Though we're like. You know, even just there, like, obviously, I don't, I don't know that Auburn's going to beat Georgia by 24 points, but I want them to because they're my team. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and you know, there's no way that Georgia can beat Auburn. And I think that's the way that we've discoursed with other people and not this, like, okay, look, the reason that you came to those conclusions, you know what? These are hard issues. They're right. so – we've, like, almost oversimplified the complexity of, you know – the complexity of politics in a 350 million person nation, uh, people of all socioeconomic classes, all sort of backgrounds, all sort of races, all sort of histories, the, the complexity of what we're trying to do is just, it's phenomenal. Uh, and of course, that's all been amplified because you know, one of the things that America had before the social media age was the ability to kind of like have 
narratives and people could kind of find their identity narratives. When I say America had that, like every country ever Ever. has had that. Yeah, Yeah. like, I mean, that's why Rome was what it was. It had uh, the Aeneid, you know, there was a narrative that kind of framed, you know, and now actually what's interesting about the moment we're in right now is that we're, we're, we're fighting against, you know, we're tearing down, we're, we're, we're destroying our previous narrative. We're, we're not proud of our narrative, mm-hmm. which is obviously, you know, there's going to be an effect of that. It's, it's going to lead to more and more um, confusion in the next 10 years, the next decade, um, because we've kind of broken free. And so the things that we've actually put in place to simplify the complexity of trying to govern 350 million people of all different types we've actually kind of been destroying in the past year or so. So we're kind of off on a tangent now, but to your point, Blake, what we really wanted people to do as Christians, the reason I've come to these things is not because my dad was a Republican or my mom was a Democrat or whatever, Mm -hmm. but we've come to these conclusions because these are things are biblical truths. And so we can start framing our political viewpoints Mm -hmm. from them. That's right. So Matt, do you have a comment? Yeah. So, you know, along the, the same lines as our uh, Auburn, Georgia analogy, you know, I love that, that church is the next day after SEC football because it's like, <laughs> even if you suffer a devastating loss, it's like, okay, there's a greater allegiance, you know? That's right. It helps take away some of the sting sometimes. But, uh, you know, this is very convicting and challenging. And I loved how you talked about we're not telling people how to vote, but basically helping frame our conscience um, and that politics is not our ultimate responsibility as Christians. Um, but you made a comment about how Christianity can get hollowed out, um, that we're so focused on the big thing, we miss the people in front of us. And you even talked about this uh, C.S. Lewis Wormwood um, little mm-hmm. excerpt about just get them so consumed yeah. with politics. So, you know, how do we keep our Christianity from getting hollowed out? You know? Yeah. First of all, I do want to make this is a good point about the talk back. That was, I. I guess misquoted that that little thing was written in the spirit of Lewis. It was kind of a summary of some of maybe some political thought he put forward, but it was not actually an excerpt from the book. So I apologize that that's kind of been paused, tossed around, but it's definitely done in kind of the spirit of gotcha. Lewis. Um, Still very helpful. Yeah. It's a helpful mm-hmm. little quote. Um, and I do think that is kind of the age that we're in where everybody is focused on this big moment thing. And, nobody's actually doing anything about it. Um, and again, that's, you know, the social media age or the cable news age. And, and all people end up doing is like watching more, um, of their favorite cable news station and, and learning the narrative all the more, right. Um, you know, this is big, this is a development, but they're not actually engaging other human beings in meaningful ways. And I think that they don't, because it feels so small. It's like, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know? And I think as soon as Americans or humans in general or Christians in particular start thinking that way, what can I do? I'm not the person in power. We've lost. Christianity has advanced. The kingdom of God has advanced from a little hobnob group of 11 dudes to the whole world. Because somebody said, I can have influence over this one person. Nobody had a cable news station, Mm -hmm. you know. Nobody had uh, the New York Times. Nobody had any of these things. They just had relationships with other people. 
And they took that seriously and they went out and they built relationships and they made a difference. And if Christians really want to see the kingdom of God advance, if they really understand their primary allegiance, that's what they will do. And I think that right now Christians are so consumed with the big national story and that, you know, there's all these problems with America and this and this and this and this and this, that they're incredibly ineffective. They're becoming more divided than ever. And their loyalty to Christ and to his church is at least being confused, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And there's there's wrong divisions, I think, going on right now among brothers and sisters in Christ because they are not joining arms to actually impact their community, but because they've bought into two different national narratives and it's, mm-hmm. it's caused division and, and instead of unity that the gospel desires to bring. I think it gets back to... Uh, something you said yesterday in the sermon, which I thought was like a really good soundbite. You know, you basically said, this is a summary, like you can't maintain a biblical framework for understanding the world if you only spend 15 minutes of the in of your week in the Bible. Meanwhile, you watch 15 hours of right. like... You just won't. News. You, you just, you can't. Like right. your, your mind, that's not how God made us. And so... Um, and, and I think a lot of Christians, I want to go on on that, but I think a lot of Christians that, I think a lot of Christians are doing that. And I think they would say, well, of course, Jesus is more important to me. I just watch, you know, 15 hours a week of cable news. And I would just say, then he is not. I mean, you know, you you, you don't uh, let me wake you up from the lie that you are in right now. The thing that is going to be framing your conscience and mind is I'm not saying it's not necessarily the thing you spend the most time with, but it takes a significant amount of time to frame your mind, to frame your heart, and to frame your conscience. And particularly news outlets, like they exist to tell a narrative. Right. And if you don't get that, if you're not seeing that, um, wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be the crowd that is easily swayed by the religious leaders. I mean, even like the death scene of Jesus, you know, the, the, uh, you you have Palm Sunday, you know, five days ahead of the trial of Jesus. So, you know, one day you have, you know, one day you have all these people waving palm branches. The Messiah mm-hmm. come. You have to assume that, you know, just a few days later, these same people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah. And don't be the crowd, you know, be right. the one that's actually formed by the word of God mm-hmm. and the people of God. And as you do that, like you just mentioned, Jason, like the kingdom, you know, we, we do need to be workers in the kingdom of God to see it advance. But also know this, that God is building his kingdom. Like, um, it, it sounds like because we, the, the news outlet media, whatever is so loud that like, we are convinced that this right. is the kingdom that's building when, when all the while God has only ever just been, he, he, this world is built for his glory. Yes. Right. And, and he is building his kingdom to be honest with or without you, but he allows you That's to participate right. in That's it. Right. And so don't miss yes that. Yes, amen. I, I would say if you if you find yourself as a Christian and your experience of the world right now is anxiety, fear, and discouragement, it's because your hand's not really to the plow. Mm-hmm. My experience has been as you put your hand to the plow, as you join Christ in his work, your experience will be, not that there won't be anxiety, fear, and discouragement along the way, but your predominant experience will be hopefulness and joy right. and 
eagerness to see God work. The way Christians move forward in difficult times, whether that's like personal, political, global, whatever, is that you realize the victory has already been won. Yes. Like, and, and because the victory has been won for you and God is doing his work in the world, you can attach yourself to vic- victorious living, in, you know, empowered by the spirit because of what Christ has done for us, no matter your circumstance. Amen. So uh, that, if anything, well, I mean, there's a few things I want people to take away. Like what is framing you and, you know, and then are you actually living like a Christian or are you living more like, um, you know, you are you living more in some narrative that your favorite news station mm-hmm. is telling you to live in? Um, and, you know, I mean, if the church could just get those two things, then then we'd be great. You know, Matt, you had a question, I think, about like, you know, how how we got here, I guess. Right, yes. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, the right and the left should think of Christians as kind of perplexed. Like, we don't really know what to do with them. We can't control them. But so how, how have we gotten here where Christians are getting so tied to parties? Yeah. Well, and again, I think it's because of what we're talking about. They've bought into the narrative that the world has said, and they're not buying into, as Blake said, the the kingdom of God is advancing, and uh, they have lost sight of that. They're, they've lost, you know, work of that. I, I think like, but but I think the world's plan or these parties' plans has been intentional, mm-hmm. um, and so kind of traditionally in America, um, you know, mainline Protestants have kind of fallen on the political left. And again, that's a, been an intentional kind of effort by um, the political left. Um, there's a guy named Joseph Bottoms. Did you listen to that interview with uh, Dr. Mueller and Joseph Bottoms? No, when? It's like thinking in public. It's really, no, no, really good. Anyway. But I will. He kind, of, he kind of talks about mainline Protestantism as, you know, kind of the American experience. And... Um, and so I think that the, the political left has done a good job of grabbing at some of the moral ethics, if you will, um, of mainline Protestantism, which in the late 19th, early 20th century kind of became a social gospel activist kind of thing, um, where we didn't really need the form of the gospel salvation in Christ by the blood of Christ in the cross of Christ. But more just we need, you know, a sense of good works and care for the poor, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, why has the church, um, you know, why doesn't the church do hospitals and schools and stuff anymore? And in and, and some degrees, because of what I'm talking about here, like the, you know, politics have come alongside the church and said, hey, look, like you're doing really good work. What's really important is that we have a hospital. We don't need to share the gospel and, and, and this has happened to a lot of ministries too. In fact, I was having a conversation with a buddy yesterday and I said, my fear with a lot of ministries that, you know, are doing good work and making disciples is that the money comes only with doing good work and not making with disciples. And you can get a lot of grants and you can get a lot of people interested if you just say, well, we were caring for the poor and making disciples, but now we're just caring, caring for, for the, the poor. poor. Yeah. And so that's kind of happened on the political left. Like that narrative has kind of happened and, and the political left's done a good job of kind of capturing that heart. 
Um, and again, it's advantageous. I mean, all politic, all politicians are trying to form coalitions that will give them, that will get them to fifty-one percent. I mean, that that's how you should think of politics. It's how do I get a majority to vote for me, and how mm-hmm. do I form the right coalitions of groups that will get them to get me to fifty-one percent. And then I think on the right, uh, the right has done a good job of kind of capturing the imagination of, of evangelicals. Um, you know, and there's a lot of different ways that they've done that, but, uh, you know, there was kind of the moral majority movement that really attached itself or that, you know, whatever you want to say that either the, either was coerced along by the political right or attached itself to the political right. Um, and then, you know, of course, and we were going to talk about this, like abortion, the idea of pro the pro-life movement has obviously been a big part of that. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of how it happened. And you could say it's some, you know, I don't know that you could say like this happened because of X. I think two things were happening at the same time. Um, you know, for example, like in mainline Protestantism, liberal theology was kind of taking root and the political left kind of saw an opportunity to kind of attach itself to that. Um, I think in evangelicalism, you know, there obviously was concern for, for example, human life. And I think the political right, either for good or for advancement, um, has attached itself to that. So I certainly wouldn't say, I mean, don't hear me to say that everybody on the political right is, is using evangelicals to right. get to 51% mm-hmm. because, you know, they see abortion as an advantageous um, viewpoint to have um, and they don't actually care. Obviously, there are conservative politicians that deeply care about that issue. But not all of them. And I think that you're kind of blind as a Christian to think that all these guys really deeply care about this. Um, And that's where I think the shrewdness of what we're talking about should come from. We Mm -hmm. shouldn't be owned by, there should be a shrewdness that Christians have um, that kind of transcends Mm -hmm. all of this. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, to, to ask this another way, to ask this in a way that like you've been asked already, but I'm just gonna ask it on the on the podcast here. So many of our, you know, many men that we look up to, Jason, as pastors and preachers, they've been in their pulpits and they've said, vote this way. Yeah. Why didn't you? Well, I I think, first of all, that's very, first of all, I believe what I just said. Like, I think that you can do this exercise of wrestling with truth and actually land at some different political conclusions. Um, And so... You know, I have I do the same exercise, um, and I've landed at political conclusions. But I think that it's it's unwise for a pastor to in any way kind of bind the conscience of our folks in in things that aren't. You know, you said this earlier. There's not like a Bible party, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. if there was a Bible party, you'd vote for them. I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> right. vote for the Bible party. Yeah. But there's not a Bible party, and I think, you again, going back to what we said before, I think we can oversimplify the complexity of everything that's going on by saying, well, this is so obvious. So, I mean, I think abortion's like a, a great thing to go to. So let's, let's go through our exercise here. We're going to mm-hmm. start with truth and then work to conclusions. You cannot, as a Christian, as a person that believes the Bible seriously, you, you, you have to understand human life as something that is not is sanctified it is is 
is originated by God, is given to us by God, right? Whose decision is it to have life? What is human life? It Mm -hmm. is something that God has ordained, okay? So if that is true, and God has ordained life, and life begins at conception, then yes, we should protect life. And this applies across the board, right? We should protect all the vulnerable people among us. Christians should be incredibly concerned with protecting the children of immigrants, for example. Christians should be incredibly concerned with protecting the elderly. Christians should be incredibly concerned with making sure that people have access to health care, that people have access to food, that people have access to... So, So these are things that any thoughtful Christian that cares about human life should be concerned with. But of course, who's like the most vulnerable among us? It's it's the unborn child. Um, and Christians have done a good job of this. Um, this is why we had the Faith Bridge uh, folks out yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and so, yes, of course, I think Christians um, should hold to a pro-life position as we hold to a pro-life position. And I'm trying to say this unpolitically. As we hold to a pro-life position, we should also really care about the the woman who, uh, you know, gets pregnant out of wedlock and is in a tough situation, we should be scared on her life and sit and value her and say, look, mm-hmm. we want to make sure you are taken care of and that you, so there's a lot of layers to this whole movement. And I think where Christians have, I guess, kind of gotten a little lazy is we think, oh, if we could just overturn Roe v. Wade, which of course I desperately want to overturn Roe v. Wade, but if we could just overturn Roe v. Wade, then magic bullet, mm-hmm. everything's solved. Yeah. Every life is then cared for. And if that's the way you're thinking, you are also incredibly naive. Like to unwind this thing that we have gotten ourselves in is going to take a lot of work. Now, I think overturning Roe v. Wade is a good part of that, but it's also going to take really heightening up um, our care for the vulnerable. And I'm talking about the the mothers here. You know, the, we have yeah. to give them options mm-hmm for adoption, for foster care. Um, we have to make sure that that they there's education there. So I think the church has a lot of work to be doing um, to be fully and, and wholly pro-life. And another thing that I would say too, to Christians again, like, you know, again, I hope that Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed and that the court goes 6-3 and that there's a, mm-hmm. you know, the, in terms of pro-life candidates and there's a, you know, and, and, and that Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I mean, I, I do, you know, hope for those things. And I can think I can, I think that would be a very consistent Christian position. I think that every Christian should, you know, whether or not, you know, however you understand how Supreme Court justices should read the Constitution and what it is, at least on a defending of human life kind of record, I think every Christian should pretty much be in agreement mm-hmm. on this. Um, and, you know, and again, if you're not, I'd, I'd challenge any, I mean, that's a great thing to talk about. But I'm just saying that once that happens, this this fight is not over. You mm-hmm. know, states will then go and legislate, um, you know, a more pro-choice uh, kind of policy. And so it, it's 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 this is not just a silver bullet issue. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so much more complex than that. Um, yeah, and and I think that's where Christians can be a little careless and thoughtless in how we approach these things. I think, again, we've kind of oversimplified mm-hmm. um, what is going on here. There's a lot more layers going on here than just this one suspect Supreme Court yeah. decision. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And it and the, you know, the existence of a war, war on 
babies is not new, right? It, right. It's, it's been around the world for a very long time. From the beginning of In fact, of you see that like yeah. in the Moses near yeah. Pharaoh like narrative you see that whenever you see that in the jesus the baby boy and herod you know narrative like you see that in the one child policy of china you see that you see this this war on children all throughout human history and so you know that don't don't think this is the only time we've ever that humans have ever dealt yeah, if, with this or fought this battle if human beings are made in the image of god then then satan is always going to want to tarnish and undo mm-hmm. the image of God That's on right. earth yeah. and do whatever he can to distort the image of God mm-hmm. in us. Yeah. Um, and babies just by nature of their innocence and the hopefulness and the, the, the newness of them are, are just, you know, there's a lot of potential for every human baby that's born to go and do something great for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And Satan's not going to like that. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Any other questions? These are these are complicated things. Yeah, they are. And I think that's what I wanted our church to uh, to understand and to and and, and again, I I don't know that anybody. I want to repeat this. I don't know that anybody's going to come to the end of this sermon series and be like, okay, I've totally changed my position on you know this or this or this. What I do want you to do is say, okay, why have I gotten here and do the hard work? And I think at least it'll make you more compassionate. Um, and more able to have meaningful dialogue with someone that disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm hopeful in that. And again, we, I appreciate all the comments. Um, this again was not our typical kind of sermon forma, but hopefully something that was helpful for the congregation. Yeah, I think it was. Well, for Matt, oh, get, you got something? I have one last thing. Yeah. One last thing. You talked about, um, how uh oh, i just lost it <laughs> basically Come on, okay okay, it. okay it's the uh it's the mentality of like the us versus them and i was thinking about this when you're talking about abortion like that like they're the problem this is if if yeah, yeah, yeah instead of like turning it back on on yourself and thinking i'm the problem like thinking introspectively around yourself like how do we get there to where we don't think about this us versus them mentality yeah, and that was to kind of the the Lewis quote that wasn't actually a Lewis quote earlier, but like get them focused on the outside. Here's here's the thing: what's the problem with the world? Self centeredness and self righteousness. Mm-hmm. Self centeredness says I'm more important than you. Self righteousness says I'm better than you. And I think that the more people think that way, the more people can start thinking I'm morally superior. I'm more important. The more sin, the more division, mm. the more corruption, the more destruction is in the world. And so we're always prone to look for problems outside of ourselves so that we can feed our self-righteousness and self-centeredness impulse. Mm-hmm. We're always prone mm, to look for simple, simple means to be on the right side of history, right? Um or to be doing the righteous thing. You know, everybody's looking for that. I can I can hang this sign up. I can do this. I can vote for this candidate. And I know at least I'm not a baby killer. But that person may have no concern for the person who is in a very tricky situation. And that person may have no concern for other babies that actually have needs mm-hmm. that they could be serving right around them, you know. Um and so, yeah, I mean, don't, don't see yourself as so righteous. Um, 
you know, for, uh, you know, voting for the pro-life candidate or whatever, and then have no concern for the actual children that live on your street Mm -hmm. that you could be discipling or making a difference for or serving in some way. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think that's the, there, there is a tendency that we always have to look out of ourselves, uh, for righteousness, uh, to look into ourselves for righteousness, look out for ourselves for judgment. And really, I think what the Bible says is when we actually look into ourselves, we see, judgment and we have to look out for ourselves to find righteousness but that is to the only one who is righteous who is jesus mm. who has given us righteousness so the, the gospel switches that impulse yeah which is why you actually need worship and transcendence and bible mm-hmm. study and and without those things yeah you're you're gonna fall into the sin trap every single time right yeah and uh, when the question and then you talking reminded me like just the how the gospel does totally reverse kind of like the worldly virtues we see like the person who the world was actually all about jesus that's what we believe as christians like the person who the whole world was actually centered on to glorify to honor the person who was actually righteous was also humble and kind yes and gracious and involved with the vulnerable in the world he didn't use his the, the Christ-centeredness of all of this human universe and his righteousness as a platform to beat others down. Yeah, he used it right. as a platform for service. Which is actually why I got crucified. You yeah, know, exactly. the, if yeah. he would have come and saying, look, I'm your guy, we're going to beat the Romans, I'm the strong man, um, you know, the Jews would have probably followed him. Um, at the, we talked about this scene, you know, the scene that we talked about yesterday. Um, where Jesus is being accused, he's not. He doesn't become some culture warrior for some movement. He's humble. He's yeah. he, but through that, and even through his death, he actually does eventually undo the Roman Empire, and he <sighs> undoes all the kingdoms of this world. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the the passages I was thinking about is John sixteen. In this world, let me just, I'll close with this. In this world, look, you're going to face troubles, guys. You know, you're going to face troubles. Mm -hmm. There's going to be hardship. Um, Your people are going to misunderstand you. Um, The world is going to be against you. They're going to be against some of your, um, you know, convictions of truth that you have. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the whole world. It is a kingdom that has overcome every other kingdom and that will stand forever. Mm. And so let's find our identity and hope there. Amen. So for Matt, Ro- uh, Matt Rogers, for Matt Nolan and Blake <laughs> Rogers, Matt Rogers, that would be a good. I thought you were going to say Matt Ryan, <laughs> and I would love to have Matt Ryan on. Hey, Matt Ryan, if you're listening, official invite. Yeah. You can come next week. But for Matt Nolan and Blake <laughs> Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.